Well, good morning. My name is Kevin, and I am on staff here at New Life, and it is my joy, my privilege to get to share with you for the next few minutes as we continue on this journey of freedom. Uh, if you're here for the first time, I just want to say welcome. I'm glad you're here. I'm glad you decided to come. If you are here for the second time, you came back. That means last week uh, someone may have invited you, and, and you came, and there was something there, something that happened, something that grabbed you, and you said, you know what? It's worth coming back for a second look. So thanks for coming back. My hope and my prayer is that you will experience God, that you'll explore uh, the truth of life that he has for you, a life that is good and exciting, full of passion and vision and purpose. And as you engage with him, that he will transform you, just as he has transformed this community of faith. Uh, I get to be here and preach to my family. My family's in from Southern California, which is exciting. I don't know that my brother's heard me preach in probably three or so years, but last time he was up, and I'm going to, actually, Todd, why don't you stand up for a second? I wouldn't embarrass anybody else. This is my brother, Todd. You just got to look at him for a sec. I know, he's a good-looking good guy. Uh, that's my twin brother, and I want to tell you, because last time he was here and I was preaching, uh, he was engaged to his wife, Jessica, and we were at church, and I was getting ready to preach, and he kissed her, and someone from the church, and I'm not going to say who it was, got really upset. Like, our pastor is kissing another woman at church. How could he do this? His wife is pregnant, and here he is kissing some other woman. And so he came up, and he's looking, trying to figure it out. And then he realized that, well, that guy kind of looks like Kevin, but he's not quite like Kevin. And he's got some earrings. He's a little cooler than Kevin. That, that must be his brother, you know? And so I say that to you because all week my brother's going to be here. So if you're walking in downtown Petaluma and you see someone that looks like me kissing someone that looks nothing like my wife, please don't call Ron, okay? This is not, it's not some scandal. You don't need to worry about it. That is my brother, and that's his wife. And so there's just nothing to worry about there. I just want to share that uh, so we don't get any mix-ups. You know, I don't want anything that would happen with my family to hinder you on this exciting Thanksgiving week. We are in the middle of a series called Freedom. The truth is that God wants you to experience freedom in your life. Galatians chapter 5 verse 1 says, It is for freedom that Christ has set you free. That was his purpose for coming. Jesus came to earth and he lived with God in community with God, showing us what it meant to experience fullness of life with God. And then he died on a cross and God raised him from the dead so that you could have freedom in your life so that you could experience the fullness of life that God has for you. And we just heard this song, that's where the healing begins. When we let our walls down, when we say, you know what, I realize that I'm not perfect, that I have made choices in my life that are destructive, that are hurting me, that are hurting those that I love, and that are separating me from God. The Bible calls that sin, and, and the Bible says the wages of sin, what you get when you sin is it leads to death, but the gift of God is life. And so when we come to this place and we say, you know what, do I want what God says will lead to death or do I want to choose life? When we choose life, when we choose God, when we choose forgiveness and healing and wholeness, that's where the healing begins. But it's not where the healing ends. If that was where the process ended, we would just uh, immediately go to be with God in heaven the minute we made a decision to follow him. And so there is something that happens in life here that continues this healing process. You see, the Bible says, love God with everything that you are and love your neighbor the way that you would love yourself. 
And so if we want to continue this process of healing, we have to not only experience the forgiveness of God and the healing that comes from God, but we need to then live with other people in such a way that we can embrace healthy relationships, experience healing, experience wholeness, experience forgiveness. And that's what this journey is going to be about for the next few weeks. Last week we heard that there's a God, he loves you. There's this problem with sin, which leads to death, and God wants to give you life. And we invited you to make a decision for God today. It's the best decision that you could ever make. But today we continue that journey and we say, you know what, there's more to it than that. As we experience God, now we need to figure out how to live with other people in a way that brings freedom in my life and doesn't take me back into slavery, into bondage, into uh, this kind of that, that place where I just feel stuck, like there's no way out, where we feel trapped. God wants us to have freedom and God doesn't want us to be, to be trapped in life. I'm going to be honest with you. Uh, today is going to be some house cleaning. Today we're going to look at some of the things that we do instead of forgiveness because we need to call them out. We need to identify them before we can actually move into the freedom of forgiveness. So today we're going to do a little house cleaning, and then in the weeks to come we're actually going to say, okay, I'm not going to choose that anymore. Now I'm going to choose healthy relationships. I'm going to choose God. I'm going to choose the way that God wants me to live. Forgiveness. Free feeling joy and excitement and passion. Uh, we're going to talk about the life of a guy named Samson today. And uh, I like Samson. Samson is kind of a mix between a Greek tragedy and the Jerry Springer episode. Uh, this, is, this is the life of Samson. If you, if you ever watch Jerry Springer, you know when things get really out of control, really insane, people just start chanting, Jerry, Jerry. So if you want to start chanting, Samson, Samson, that's fine. You won't catch, you won't throw me off guard. I'm chanting it in my head, so you can just... Say it out loud. If you're new to exploring the Bible, there are a few things to know. Uh, the Bible engages us in different ways. There is teaching and preaching, and that is prescriptive. So there are parts in the Bible where the authors will say, do this and have life, do this and have death. It's teaching, and it prescribes something to you. Live this way and experience all that God has for you. There are other parts of the Bible that are narratives, and narratives are stories, and they're descriptive. It says, look at the life of this person and, and see what I'm, I'm doing through this person or this community or this nation. I'm describing them and then pull pieces out of it. Figure out where your story actually falls in line with that story. And if it's good, then live that way. And if it's not good, then take the pieces of that story that are not healthy and actually separate yourself from them. And Samson is a story. It's a narrative that's descriptive by nature. So the Bible doesn't uh, talk to us in Samson's story and say, don't do this. Don't do what Samson does. That's the job of the preacher, to say, don't do what Samson does. But for you, what I want you to do this morning is just try to find your place in the story. As we describe this man, as we describe his life, I want you to be asking questions like, well, is my life lining up in this way? When I see the outcome of what Samson is doing, do I want that for my life? And if the answer is yes, then keep going on that path. And if the answer is no, then take a different direction. Let me pray, and then we're going to jump into uh, the story of Samson. God, I'm going to stand on the truth right now that you say uh, that as we gather together, your spirit is here with us. Uh, the spirit of the one true God, uh, the one that called this whole big, beautiful mess into being, that you are here and that you are guiding, and actually that you can take these words that I speak and you can uh, speak them into each person's heart. Uh, going past the brain, going past the mind, into a place where we say, uh, we, we sense it deep down. And, and that's what I want this morning. 
Lord, I want us to explore the story of Samson and engage with it deep down at a heart level. Uh, would you start with our ears? Would you start with our eyes? Would you start with our brains? And would you move into our hearts so that we could leave here changed people? Uh, would that uh, expression that we experience in our hearts then translate down to our feet so we could walk in a new way, in a new light, in a new life? Would you keep my thoughts clear and focused? Would you hide me behind the truth of your word so that people wouldn't miss what you have for each of us? Thank you, Lord. Amen. Samson is four chapters long, and we aren't going to get into all four chapters today. We're going to pull excerpts from each of the chapters. But if you want to experience the full story of Samson, it's found in the book of Judges in the Old Testament, chapters 13, 14, 15, and 16. So you can read that at home on your own. If you don't have a Bible, just go to BibleGateway.com. You can click in Judges 13 through 16, and you can pull it up. Or better yet, grab a Bible. Uh, it's a good thing to have. It's, it's exciting. It's leather-bound. It's thick, and you feel, you feel really smart when you have one. Um, but even more importantly, uh, the words of truth are in it. And so if you don't have a Bible, grab a Bible. Uh, there's truth to be found in the pages. So you can explore that uh, if you want to on your own this week. I'd encourage it. Here's the situation when we get into Judges chapter 13. The Israelites, God's people, have once again turned away from God. This is their story, right? God calls them from this one couple. He says, I'm going to make you into a nation. I'm going to lead you. I'm going to be your God, and you're going to be my people, and I'm going to bless the world through you. And then the people turn away, and then God rescues them, and then the people turn away, and they fall into slavery. And then God rescues them again, and then they turn away again. It's this back and forth that happens. And once again, they've sinned. They have turned away from God, and this time they are uh, being overseen, overrun, and they're in slavery to a group of people called the Philistines. And right in the middle of this, an angel comes to a woman, and we don't even know her name. She's just an, an average lady. She's barren. She can't have kids. And the angel says to her, I'm going to give you a son, and your son is going to deliver God's people from the Philistines. And this is a big thing. This is a nobody woman with nobody background. We don't even know her name. Do you ever feel like, man, God doesn't know me. I'm a nobody. What could God do through me? If you ever find yourself in that place, this part of the story is for you, because God calls this barren, no one woman and says, through you, I'm going to deliver the people. I'm going to give you a son. We're going to call him Samson, and, and I'm going to set up a, a Nazarite vow with this man. And a Nazarite vow is simply an if-then statement between the person and God. If Samson does certain things, in his case, if he doesn't cut his hair, which is fantastic because the Bible says that he gets dreadlocks, which I think are really cool. Uh, if Samson doesn't cut his hair, uh, and if he doesn't drink wine— which would be hard in Northern California. But if he doesn't drink wine, uh, and if he doesn't eat grapes and other fruits from the vine, then God will use him to deliver the people. It's a vow. It's an if-then statement. If you do this, God will do this. And Samson is known by God. He's loved by God. Even before he is conceived by his parents, God has a plan for him. Do you realize that God has a plan for you? even before you came into being. The Bible says that when you were being knit together inside of your mother, God knew you. God loved you. God had a plan for your life. A good plan. A true plan. A right plan. This is the story of Samson. So far, Samson's life is going good, but then it takes a little bit of a twist. And like any good love story, any good Greek tragedy, there is romance involved in this twist. Samson falls in love with a woman. Not any woman, a Philistine woman. Remember, the Philistines are overseeing the Israelites. They are the oppressors. 
And he's supposed to free the people from this oppressor, but he falls in love with this lady. And God actually chooses to use it, chooses to redeem that situation. Is it God's plan that Samson would fall in love with this Philistine woman? Uh, we don't know for sure. I, I don't think it is. I think God chooses to use it and redeem it, but God said in his, in his word, don't intermarry. Don't go to the other nations unless I specifically give you a reason to go and marry. But the Bible says God's going to use it. And so Samson tells his parents, I want to marry this woman. She is fine. That, that's the Greek. She's fine. The Hebrew, she's fine. She looks good. She looks good in my eyes. Really good. I didn't write it. I'm just reading it. That's what it, it says. Um, so he tells his parents, this is what needs to happen. I'm going to marry her, and, and uh, so make it happen. And they're going to visit the woman, and we're told that while he's going to see her, a lion attacks him. Like, wow, a lion attacks him. And the Spirit of God comes upon Samson, and he ruins the lion. He takes the lion with his bare hands, and he just tears it apart. Just like, oh, it's so manly. He just tears it apart. Picture that in your head. This is a lion, okay? This is not like a tiny little lamb. This is a lion. Aslan, but not really. We're mixing metaphors here. We want to stay away from that. And he tears it apart. And the author tells us this so that we know uh, when the Spirit of God comes upon Samson, the way that he's going to deliver the people is through Samson's great strength. If, God, if Samson follows God and does what he's supposed to do, God will give him this great strength. We're going to pick up the story in Judges 14, verse 10. Now his father went down to see the woman, and there Samson held a feast, as was customary for young men. When the people saw him, they chose 30 men to be his companions. Let me tell you a riddle, Samson said to them. If you can give me the answer within seven days of the feast, I will give you 30 linen garments and 30 sets of clothes. If you cannot tell me the answer, you must give me 30 linen garments and 30 sets of clothes. Tell us the riddle. Let us hear it. He replied, out of the eater something to eat, out of the strong, something sweet. goes on to say that for three days they could not answer this riddle. When I was 14, uh, I went to my freshman year of high school and it was time for our first homecoming dance. So I went and asked this girl, Erin, hey, would you go to the homecoming dance with me? She said, I'd love to go to the dance with you, Kevin. You're very cool and hip. <laughs> Translation, mine. Uh, and she said, but you have to ask my dad first. And she was the oldest of three girls. And so I'm, I think her dad was kind of waiting for this moment, right? His daughter's a freshman. And so I go. Uh, I go to her house. I walk down there. Uh, my parents said, yeah, go ask her. You can walk. It's only a few blocks. And uh, so I went down there. And I am not making this up. I walked in the front door, and he was cleaning his shotgun. Okay. <laughs> People joke about this all the time. Ha, 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 pull out the shotgun. He literally was cleaning his shotgun. And he had this huge mustache, and he was this big guy. And I said, sir, may I please take your daughter to the homecoming dance? And he looked up from his shotgun cleaning. And he set his shotgun next to him. And he had two baseball mitts and a baseball on the floor, and he had a football next to it. And he said to me, pick one. And I'm horrible at football, so I picked the baseball. So I'll take the baseball mitt, sir. He said, come on. We walked outside, and he proceeded to play catch with me and ask me my intentions for the date, ask me about my financial portfolio, uh, ask me about life, my plans for his daughter, and ultimately let me go to the dance. 
At first, I thought this was crazy. Now I have a two-year-old. So when one of your two-year-old sons comes to talk to my daughter, uh, I'd like to borrow someone's shotgun if that's at all possible. Um, But what was he doing? He was checking me out, right? He was making sure that I was on the up and up, that I wasn't going to mess around with his daughter. He was having some fun with me. This is the story that we have of Samson. So Samson goes to have this wedding feast, which lasted seven days, with this woman. But before they could start the process, 30 men from the village were called to come and check out Samson. Make sure he's on the up and up. Make sure he's a good guy. Make sure he's not going to take advantage of this Philistine woman. And so these 30 companions come to watch out. And they had this conversation, and they they give him the green light. And so they start the wedding feast, which, again, lasted about a week. Uh, And Samson said to the men, hey, I have a riddle for you. And the winner of this, if you can answer this riddle, I'm going to give you the equivalent to 33 piece suits. So you'll be looking good. But if you cannot answer the riddle, you need to give me the equivalent of 33 piece suits. And they said, okay, that seems fair. Tell us the riddle. This was common back in these days. They would tell riddles back and forth to show how smart they were. Uh, and he tells them the riddle out of the eater, something to eat, out of the strong, something sweet. And he's referencing the lion. He's saying it's the honey. Remember, he killed this lion, and then he went back a few days later. uh, And maybe I I didn't mention this. He went back a few days later, and there was a hive of bees that had taken up residence inside the lion, which is kind of gross, but that's the story. And he goes in, and to show how manly he is, he grabs some honeycomb out of the lion, and he just eats it. But only he knows this story. No one else knows this story. His parents weren't with him. He's by himself. And so he tells them this riddle that only he can answer. And they can't figure it out for three days. So they go to his wife and they say, how could you have done this? You brought this man here to ruin us. Find out the answer to the riddle or we're going to kill you. And we're going to kill your whole family. So she goes to him and she says, Sam, honey, why do you hate me? I thought you loved me. We're three days into our wedding and you have this riddle, but you won't even tell me the answer to it. I thought we had become one. And she's crying and weeping, saying how much he hates her. And he says, all right, I'll tell you the answer. And he gives her the answer. And then we pick up the story in verse 18. Before sunset on the final day, on the seventh day, the men of the town said to him, what is sweeter than honey and stronger than a lion? So they answer the question, honey and lion. Those are the two pieces. But they say it in the form of a riddle. They say, what's sweeter than honey and what's stronger than a lion? And the answer, the love of a woman, right? In their response to him, they say, your wife betrayed you. Ha, ha, ha. How do you like that? Samson's not happy. He said to them, if you had not plowed with my heifer, you would not have solved my riddle. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. I've only been married for four years. So maybe as you get older, this becomes a term of endearment. (laughs) But probably not on your honeymoon. (laughs) Then the spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon him. He went down to Ashkelon and he struck down 30 of their men and stripped them of everything and gave their clothes to those who had explained the riddle. Burning with anger, he returned to his father's house. When Samson gets betrayed, we see him start to uh, have some coping mechanisms to his anger, to his regret, to his fear. And this is where I want us to start taking a look because this is where the author invites us in. Do I do these things that Samson does? Do I find myself here? Remember, this morning is a house cleaning. It's a, it's a soul house cleaning. Because if we don't lay down some of the stuff we generally turn to when we're angry or frustrated or hurt or betrayed, we can't pick up what God has for us. When your hands are full of all the suitcases, you can't pick up more suitcases. You have to let the other stuff down to pick up the new stuff. 
So I want to invite you, do you resonate with this? His first coping mechanism is sarcasm. Do you resonate with sarcasm? He says, if you hadn't plowed with my heifer, you would not have understood the riddle. His wife has betrayed him. She's broken trust. She's embarrassed him in front of all these guys. Uh, he's he's got to pay them a lot of money for these suits. And so what does he do? He's sarcastic to her. So the question becomes for us, when I'm hurt or frustrated or betrayed, do you find yourself turning to sarcasm to cope? Is that your coping mechanism? Is that your tool? Do you find yourself taking jabs or being cynical or being negative, being bitter when you're hurt or when you're frustrated or when you're angry, when you're betrayed? Uh, I'll, I'll be honest with you, this is my default. Uh, of all four of these, this is the one that I turn to the most naturally, and it's the easiest for me. Uh, and you might be like me and thinking, well, maybe it's just not a big deal if I'm sarcastic when I get hurt. But the truth is, it is a big deal. Because what happens when we're sarcastic is that uh, we are enslaved to shallow relationships. That's what it enslaves us to. Have you ever had a really deep, intimate, personal relationship with someone where sarcasm is your main mode of communication? I don't think you have. I don't think it's possible to. God's great desire is for depth in relationships, for intimacy, for honesty, for vulnerability. But if you ever try to be vulnerable with someone and have them be sarcastic back to you, it doesn't work. So his first coping mechanism is sarcasm. His second coping mechanism is revenge. When someone hurts or frustrates or betrays you, do you ever find yourself turning to revenge to cope? I remember hearing on the news not that long ago, a family of four driving in a car on the freeway. Husband was driving and, and wife was sitting shotgun with the kids in the back seat. And a couple of guys came in their car and they cut the guy off. So the guy flipped on the bird because that's what you do when someone cuts you off. Uh, you, you give them, you say hi, but you only use one finger. Uh, and I don't. I didn't say that's what I do. I said that's what you, the universal. And the guys didn't like that, so they flipped him off back. Well, then they started yelling back and forth on the freeway in their cars. Uh, and they started kind of swerving toward each other. And they're just getting so angry. And the guys motion for the, the, the husband and father to get off the freeway. And he does. He follows them off the freeway. And they get out of the car. And the wife says, don't do it. Don't get out of the car. It's not worth it. He gets out of the car. And they start yelling at each other, exchanging words. And then all of a sudden, they start to get physical with each other. And one of the guys pulled out a gun. And he shot the husband. And he killed him in front of his family. Revenge is a coping mechanism that leads to death and slavery. Maybe not physical death. I pray not for any of us. When kids get hurt and angry, what do they do? They use physical violence, right? They punch someone. That's why I get in timeout a lot. Used to get in timeout a lot. Uh, we don't use physical violence that much for the most part, I don't think. Although if physical violence is your mode when you get angry, that's a huge, huge flag that you're stuck in slavery. But for us as adults, we're, we're, um, we're more defined in our revenge tactics, right? We use gossip for revenge or slander. We say negative things. We paint people in a negative light because we think they've hurt me, and so I want other people to see what kind of person they really are. And so we talk badly about them, and we lead people down a path of thinking they're not any good. What happens is then we're always watching our back. 
we're not free because we don't know if they know what I said about them. And so we come into a place and we wonder, what are people thinking about me because of what I've said about them? And it escalates. Revenge always escalates and we find ourselves trapped. We cannot be free when gossip or slander or backbiting is our made mode of conversation when we're hurt and angry. That's why God says turn to forgiveness. Deal with the situation. That's why the Bible says, let no unwholesome talk come out of your mouth except for that which builds other people up. Because God doesn't want us to have to watch our back. He doesn't want us to have to wonder if people know what we're saying. He doesn't want us to have to remember everything we said about every person all the time because it's exhausting and it's heavy and we get stuck in slavery when we do. Here's how it played out for Samson. Samson killed the 30 men and he took their clothes. And then later on, he um, burns the crops of the Philistines. So he takes a step forward because now when the next harvest comes, they won't have anything to eat and they'll starve. They get angry, the Philistines, and so they go and they kill his wife and his father-in-law. And he gets really angry and he goes, and the Bible says he just slaughters great numbers of Philistines. He just goes through and he slaughters them, he kills them, and then he goes and he hides in a cave. If we choose revenge as our mode, we cannot experience fullness in life. We cannot experience freedom. It just doesn't work. Let's fast forward to the end of Samson's story to get the last two coping mechanisms that we see as we follow along with him. So at this point, he, his wife is dead, and so he goes to be with a prostitute, spend some time with her. That doesn't really work out. Go figure. Uh, and then he falls in love with another Philistine woman named Delilah. And they say Delilah's beautiful too, pleasing to the eyes, and Samson falls for her. Remember, Samson's main issue, right? What is sweeter than honey and stronger than a lion? The love of a woman. Samson is just, he's enthralled by women. Women, your husbands are enthralled by you. Take it easy on us. Lead us down the right path. So he falls in love with Delilah, and uh, he, is, he is with her, and the Philistine leaders come to him, and they say, we'll give you this crazy amount of money if you can tell us the secret to Samson's strength. Now, the money is equal to about $13 million today. That's if we did the ratio. So we'll give you $13 million to find out the secret to your husband's strength. And Judges 16 says, So Delilah said to Samson, Tell me the secret of your great strength and how you may be tied up and subdued. It's an interesting request, we would think. But no, Samson answers her, If anyone ties me up with seven fresh bowstrings that have not been dried, I will become as weak as any other man. Then the rulers of the Philistines brought her seven fresh bowstrings that had not been dried, and she tied him with them. With the men hidden in the room, she called out, Samson, the Philistines are upon you. Samson snapped the bowstrings as easily as a piece of string snaps when it comes close to a flame, and so the secret of his strength was not discovered. Then Delilah said to Samson, you've made a fool of me. You've lied to me. Come now, tell me how you can be tied up. Call me crazy. If my wife uh, asked me, how can you be tied up and subdued so that you could be killed? And I, I, I tested her. I, gave, I said, you know what? Do this. Tie my shoelaces together. I won't be able to walk. I'll fall over and die. And I woke up the next morning, and my shoelaces were tied together. And people were waiting to kill me. And then she said to me, you made a fool of me. You lied to me. Call me crazy, but I wouldn't let that fly. But Samson just sweeps it under the rug. He doesn't even respond to it. Two more times, Samson actually tells her two more lies, and each time, she does the thing he says to do, and the Philistines are there, and they come to attack him, and he breaks the bonds, 
And she says to him every time, how could you do this to me? You're breaking my heart, Sam. When someone hurts or frustrates or betrays you, do you find yourself sweeping it under the carpet and pretending it never happened? Is that your coping mechanism? When you're upset with your husband or wife or your kids or your coworkers or, or people at your church, do you ever find yourself saying things like, well, whatever, it's not that big of a deal. I'm over it. Let's just move on. You ever said things like that? Now, to be, to be sure, if someone steps on your toe, let's just move on, okay? That's not sweeping under the carpet. That's just not being crazy. But if someone hurts you or betrays you, tries to kill you, and you say, let's, I'm over it, let's, let's just move on, whatever, um, you're really not over it. You really can't move on. Most likely it will come back. It happened three more times with Samson until we get to the fourth and final, which we'll talk about in a second. If you sweep things under the carpet, all of a sudden the carpet's going to get a lot of junk under it, and you're going to wonder why there's this huge mound in your carpet between you and another person. And then you're just going to blow up, right? You're going to look at your husband and say, why don't you put your socks in the dirty clothes? I tell you, or you don't tell, you say, I'll put them away for him, right? I'll be nice. And then, and then all of a sudden it builds up, and you're like, I can't believe you always do that. He doesn't know. He should know, but he doesn't. He thinks that's the great place for the socks because then they're already separated into whites and darks. We can't just sweep it under the carpet. It will come back. It will bite us in places where we don't want to be bit. And we won't be free. And Samson's final coping mechanism is he just gives up. He just gives up. When someone hurts or frustrates or betrays you, do you ever resign yourself to the fact that this is always the way it's going to be? Verse 16 says, With such nagging, she prodded him day after day until he was sick to death of it. I have no idea what that's like. I'm just going to throw that out there. Right? Maria, you're here. I love you, babe. Husbands, look at your wives and say, I can't relate with that at all. Say, you'll score points. It's Thanksgiving. Tell them. Tell them now. Before the in-laws come, tell them now. Tell them you love them. He was sick to death of it, so he told her everything. No razor has ever been used on my head because I've been a Nazarite dedicated to God for my mother's womb. If my head were shaved, my strength would leave me, and I would become as weak as your pastor, Kevin Finkbeiner, as any other man. When Delilah saw that she had told him everything, she sent word to the rulers of the Philistines, come back once more, he has told me everything. I'm not a counselor, but I've talked to counselors, and, and they'll tell me, you know what, we can tell when a marriage is pretty much over. Because a couple comes into our office, and they're not yelling, and they're not crying, but one or both of them just kind of sits there numb. They're just kind of resigned to the fact that this is the way it is, and it's always going to be, and it's never going to get any better. And they say, you know what? It would be better if they were yelling at each other, because at least then they have some skin in the game. At least then they care enough to fight. It'd be better if they showed some emotion, because at least then you know that it's getting through. Something is happening. But when one or both comes in, and they're just numb, and they just don't care, the marriage is pretty much over, unless God can transform it, unless something changes, unless they get back into the game. Samson just gives up. He just gives up. He tells her the secret to his strength. He says, if you shave my head, I'll become weak. And then 
surprise, surprise, she shaves his head. Uh, I know, it's crazy. He becomes weak. The Philistines come. They bind him. They gouge out his eyes. They make him a slave. And then he's at this big party, and they call for him, and he's, they're mocking him, and they're laughing at him. And he's between these two pillars, and he says, God, would you give me the strength to redeem one more time? Even though I've sinned against you, would you just do something to avenge me so I can have revenge? And there are people up on this um, platform, and he's below them with these pillars, and he pushes with all his strength, and the pillars fall down, and he kills thousands of Philistines, and he dies. And that's the end of Samson's story. That's it. Blind a slave, three failed relationships, and buried by a house. I don't know about you. Again, this is descriptive, not prescriptive. So I can't tell you what to think, but I don't really want that for my life. That's not the way I want to go out. I know we live in California, but I don't want to die in my house. I don't want to die by an earthquake. I don't want that to happen to me. When we resign ourselves to thinking this is just the way it's going to be, we hinder God's ability to bring freedom. We don't allow God to work. God wants to bring freedom in your life. The key way that God wants to do it is to help you effectively navigate relationships. The Bible says if you don't love your neighbor who you can see, how could you ever love God who you can't see? It's impossible. God wants to bring freedom by showing us how to navigate relationships, and we have to call out some of these coping mechanisms that we use and get rid of them so that we can open ourselves up to how God would have us engage. Next week, we're going to explore the idea of seeking forgiveness. When you hurt someone, how do you go to them? What's the Bible say about it? How do we do this to have healthy relationships? The following week, we're going to talk about the idea of forgiving others. What's a healthy picture of forgiving others? How do I do that? How many times should I do it? Do I put myself back in that situation? All the ins and outs of forgiving others. We're going to talk about this for the next two weeks. And in order for us to get there, we want to clean some junk up now. We need to do some house cleaning. And so I have some process questions for you this week. And if you take the time to really pray and to think about them, it will open you up for what God has for you next week. The first question that I'd like you to be thinking about this week, is there anyone that I've hurt or frustrated or betrayed? The second question, is there anyone who has hurt or frustrated or betrayed me? I put those in that order for a reason. It's going to be easier for you to think of people who have hurt you uh, than people you've hurt. That's just human nature. It's easy for us to keep a record of who has hurt us. But I want us to start with, have I hurt anyone? So we can be like the author of, of the Psalms that says, seek me, O God, and know me. I want you to pray and say, God, would you seek me and tell me, is there anyone who I've hurt? Because I want to figure out how to fix that how to bring healthy relationships. And then the second question, anyone who has hurt me? And then the third, am I using sarcasm or revenge? Whether that's physical violence, yelling and screaming, gossip. Am I using sweeping it under the carpet or am I just giving up? Am I using one of these coping mechanisms in my life instead of experiencing freedom? So those are three questions to process through this week. Take your notes home and, and think about them. And then uh, I have two next steps for us. The first one, if you would commit to this, uh, I'm going to have you pull out your Connect card in a few minutes, and I'm going to have you actually mark this down so that the prayer team and the staff can pray for you if you commit to making this choice, because this is not something we can do on our own. We need people lifting us up and praying for us. Um, but the first action point or the first next step is this. I will identify one coping mechanism, and I'll pray that God removes it 
and I will actively seek to erase it in my life. Maybe you already know. Maybe as you're sitting here, you think, I resonate with that. Man, that's me. That's what I do. That's my default. That's how I, how I cope instead of actually dealing. Thanksgiving is coming up, so it's a perfect time to practice uh, not using our coping mechanisms. The other thing that I want to invite you to is to make a first-time decision to become a follower of Jesus. This is not self-help stuff. This is not stuff we do on our own. Uh, apart from God, we cannot fully embrace and love people the way he's called us to. So if you're here this morning and, and you've been hearing this stuff and you've been resonating with it, or maybe you've been coming for a few weeks and checking out God and, and the truth of uh, the spiritual nature of the world that impacts and engages the physical nature of the world, if you sense that there's something here, I'm going to pray a prayer, and I'm going to give you a chance just to respond. You can just sit, and you can, repray, you can pray silently in your heads when I pray, and just invite God to lead you on this journey, because there's no greater gift. Uh, if you stay here, and if you learn some of these things, you will have better relationships. It will be a good step, uh, but only God can bring full health and healing in relationships. Uh, again, Christianity is not a self-help manual. Uh, the Bible has the words of life and truth, but only if we engage with the one who gave us those words. So would you pray? And I'm going to pray two things. One, for those of us making decisions to get rid of some coping mechanisms, to do some, some internal house cleaning. And then two, I'm going to give you some space to respond to God. Would you join me? Spirit of God, your word says that you, you work in us and you seek us out and you know us and you... Uh, restore and redeem and give us power to do things that we could not do on our own. And so I'm asking now for my friends here and for myself uh, who have identified places that we cope, ways that we have uh, turned away from freedom intentionally or unintentionally and, and used old habits, old mechanisms uh, to deal with hurt. Would you seek those out in us? Would you search us and would you know those things in us and would you help us to get rid of them? by your hand and by your power, would you help us to lay those down? As we come into this week, uh, would you put us actually in situations where we would have to deal with these? Uh, would you put us in hard situations, Lord? Uh, and then would you help us to acknowledge that uh, these are opportunities to grow, opportunities to seek healthy relationships, opportunities to uh, follow you? And that's a scary prayer, God, even for me. And, and as I pray it, uh, would you be gracious to us in the process? Would you show us what it means to live in freedom and joy and purpose and passion and to love other people deeply as much as you love them, as much as you love us? As we continue to pray, uh, if you've never made a decision to come into a relationship with God, I want to give you the space to do that. There's no better day than today for you to come and to experience all that God has for you. Uh, and so if you're sensing God tugging on your heart, if you're sensing something happening, if you're resonating with this and, and, and you just for whatever reason, you know that this is true and real. Uh, you can pray this simple prayer with me. You can just repeat after me in your head. Lord Jesus, I believe that you're real. I know that you're calling me. I know that you made a way for me to experience God. Today, I want to invite you to guide me on this journey of life. Would you show me what it means to follow you? Amen.